0: confession. I'm a complete idiot. I really am. I've told you this before, so it should come as no surprise to you, especially if you know me. And coming to grips with it over the past few years has really freed me to be, well, an idiot. And one evidence of how much of an idiot I am is this. I am allergic to helplessness. Oh, to be sure, I like to think that I am helpless and that I need God's grace, but it only takes doing a little inventory of the past few days or the past few hours to see that although I like to think that I am helpless, many times I live like I can handle and do life on my own without Jesus' help. There's a word for that, idiot. Idiot. Yes, it's true. In one sense, I really do believe that I am helpless. I really do believe that I need God. Of course I believe that. But how many times do I let my beliefs and my theology really drive what I do? I really like to think that I'm helpless. I really like to think that I'm desperate for Jesus. But the way I go about my days many times, I actually prove that my beliefs and my theology have not traveled from my brain down to my heart. And that's why I say that I am a complete idiot, because I am allergic to helplessness sometimes. I've shared this with you before, but it just goes with our passage today in Mark chapter 8. So I need to share it again. Ray Ortland, who is the pastor of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, describes what he calls the Emmanuel mantra of the church where he pastors. And it goes like this The Emmanuel mantra is this Number one, I'm a complete idiot. Number two, my future is incredibly bright. And number three, anybody can get in on this. The good news of the kingdom of God is that we are complete idiots. That's actually really good news if you can stomach it. And if we are in union with Christ, then our futures are incredibly bright. And and this is really good news Anybody can get in on this. Anybody can get in on this gospel thing if they can stomach their helplessness and their desperate need of Jesus. I'm a complete idiot. My future is incredibly bright. Anybody can get in on this. I love that. And we'll actually see all of this today in Mark chapter 8. So turn there in your Bibles now. As the disciples prove just how dumb they are, we will learn this truth about our Savior. And it's this, Jesus always loves and never leaves complete idiots. Jesus always loves and he never leaves complete idiots. That's you and me. Jesus will always Love you, and Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you, even if you're an idiot, which you are, and so am I. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus will love idiots all the way to the end. He'll never leave them, even when he has every right to. Of course, we do not not like being told that we are idiots, that we are simple, that we are naive, that we are ignorant. We don't like that. We don't like how God's word exposes us. We don't like how God's law exposes our hearts. But instead of feeling insulted, we can be glad because the Bible does not idealize us. God's word is Honest with us. God's word keeps it real. So the Bible sets the bar low for us. Where beginners like us can get some traction and succeed a little and grow even if we stumble along the way. And if we're honest, we all are really just stumbling our way into heaven, aren't we? But listen, if all this talk about how we are all idiots is getting you down... Be of good courage today. Jesus loves idiots. And that's good news because that's the only kind of people he works with. And we'll see some iconic idioting, if that's a word. We'll see some iconic idioting in our passage today as Jesus once again makes a mean batch of fish tacos. So look at Mark chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? So there's a ginormous crowd gathered once again, but this time they are mostly Gentiles who have gathered to hear Jesus, probably because news about how Jesus healed the deaf man at the end of Mark chapter 7 that has spread around this region. So Mark tells us again that just like what happened with the previous feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has compassion on this crowd. They've heard about the healing of the blind man. They've gathered. They want to hear this Jewish rabbi teach. And Jesus sees them and he has compassion on the crowd. The Greek word for compassion, I've told you before, is the Greek word splotnōn. It means literally your guts. It's your innards. It's where you feel love, where you feel heartache, where you feel compassion. It means that you have this great affection for someone. Now, we use the word heart for this in English but guts is more accurate because when you get your heart broke or you lose a loved one something terrible happens in your life you really feel it in your gut don't you in your stomach so Jesus sees this large crowd of people and he has compassion on them he cares for them and he feels it in his gut he really feels it now think about this Jesus has compassion on the crowd, knowing full well that he can and will provide for them. Let that sink in. I was really struck by this thought as I was working on this sermon. Jesus has compassion on the crowd, knowing full well that he can and will provide for them. His power and his ability to do crazy, weird things like multiply tortillas and multiply fish, that does not keep him from feeling compassion. Jesus' power does not keep him from having compassion on this crowd. He doesn't think something like this. Oh, those poor people, they have nothing to eat. But I can do miracles so I'm not even moved by their need because I can and will provide. Therefore, I don't have to get involved emotionally with these people. I know what I can do. Just because Jesus knows everything and has the power to do anything that he wants to in your life does not mean that he is not moved with compassion when you suffer. Let me say that again. Just because Jesus knows everything and has the power to do anything that he wants to do in your life does not mean that he is not moved with compassion when you suffer. He is full of compassion right up to the very second before he intervenes and provides for you. Let that sink in. Jesus knows that he has the power to miraculously intervene in your life, and yet he is still involved emotionally with what you are going through. And think about these people. They're just hungry. They're hungry, and Jesus has compassion on them. When my kids are hungry, sometimes I don't have compassion on them. We just ate, there's no compassion. These people are just hungry and Jesus with the shepherd's heart has compassion on them, how much more with what you might be going through right now? If Jesus can have compassion on a crowd that is hungry and just needs food and water, how much more compassion does he have on you as you are going through what you are going through right now? Your struggle, your pain, your heartache, your grief, your sadness. How much more compassion? That's pretty mind-blowing. Jesus has all the power in the world and he could totally distance himself from our troubles, from our sorrows, from our heartaches, knowing he has the power to fix it. I don't have to get involved. I don't have to get my hands dirty. But instead, as the good shepherd, he gets involved. He rolls his sleeves up and gets involved. He has compassion on us, knowing full well that he has the power to change the situation in a nanosecond. He can move mountains, and yet he chooses to be moved with compassion when we suffer. He feels it in his gut. That means then that whatever pain and sorrow and trauma that you have experienced or are experiencing right now, Jesus feels it in his gut. Right now, this morning, as your heart is heavy, he feels compassion for you in his gut. He doesn't stay at a distance. He comes close and he feels your pain. He feels your sorrow. He feels your heartbreak in his heart all the while knowing that someday and in some way he has all the power in the world to fix it. That ought to make you pause and worship and give thanks. Maybe we should just do that now. Maybe we should pause in the middle of this sermon and pray and give thanks to Jesus right now. So let's break all the preaching rules and let's do that, shall we? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are so kind and compassionate. Thank you that you do come near to us, that you aren't far away. Help us, we pray. Come in your power and in your time and meet Whatever needs each of us have. Amen. Sometimes you just have to stop what you are doing and pray. Sometimes you just have to stop. Whatever it is that you're doing, just stop and say, i got to pray. Sometimes you just have to stop and put the iPhone down. Or pull over to the side of the road. Or pause the conversation. Or pause the sermon and ask Jesus to intervene. And that's exactly what the disciples do here in Mark 8. Jesus tells them that he has compassion on the crowd because they have no food and it's too far to travel back into town to get some Chick-fil-A. So the disciples ask Jesus, how will it be possible to feed so many people out here in the middle of nowhere? There's no food. There's no little $5 Little Caesar pizza, pizza available to cheaply feed everyone. The disciples asked Jesus, how in the world are they going to feed all these people in this desolate place? And once again, just like Jesus did with the feeding of the 5,000 that we saw in Mark chapter 6, Jesus asked them, how many loaves of bread do you have? Remember the story of the, the feeding of the 5,000 that we saw a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 6? Well, guess what? Remember that? Guess what? The disciples don't. <laughs> you might remember it. The disciples do not remember this. They can't remember what Jesus did. They're right back in the same situation as they were in then, and they ask Jesus, how are we going to feed all these people? And after Jesus feeds the 4,000 in this passage, guess what? The disciples will forget that too. After Jesus feeds the 4,000 here in Mark chapter 8, the disciples will get into a boat with Jesus, and they will freak out because they're hungry, and they just have one tortilla to feed 13 grown men. They can't remember that Jesus makes the best fish tacos. Every time the disciples get into a boat with Jesus, they prove that they're idiots. When you read the gospels every single time the disciples get into a boat with Jesus, they prove that they are idiots. You would think that they would figure this out. We're getting into a boat again and gosh, we're going to be we're going to prove ourselves to be idiots. I don't want to get in a boat with Jesus. Every time I get in a boat with Jesus, I end up looking like an idiot. That's what happens. Two times the disciples will see, with their own eyes, in person, with the front row seat, they will see Jesus multiply fish and bread for two different groups, 5,000 and 4,000. And yet they will forget and freak out later in this chapter when they hop in a boat and realize that they only have one tortilla to feed 13 grown men. And one of these 13 grown men just so happens to be the guy who can miraculously provide for and make the best fish tacos and yet the disciples are too busy doing math in a boat and they can't seem to put two and two together. Instead, they're like, one tortilla plus 13 men equals panic. That's what they're thinking. One tortilla, 13 grown men. Ah, what are we going to do? Of course... We have to be careful here. We often read the Bible with exegetical snobbery because we think that the disciples are idiots. We think that we would not do what they did and stumble the way they did. Really? All they had was the Old Testament. They didn't even have their own copies of the Old Testament. If they wanted to read God's Word, they couldn't. They had to go to the temple or to a synagogue and hear it read by someone else. And yet we have the entire Bible, many copies of it, and we have it on our phones, and we can just pull it up, and we can search, and we can highlight, and yet we are just as dumb as they are. Don't break out in a case of exegetical snobbery hives when you read that the disciples forgot that Jesus makes the best fish tacos ever. Get off your high horse when you read how they stumble because we all do the same. We all forget who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. We all can be idiots at times. And that's why his mercies are new every morning because we are idiots and we keep stumbling our way to heaven and we wake up every morning as idiots and we are greeted with new mercies. There's a scene in the NBC comedy, The Office, where the boss, Michael Scott, has a conversation with one of his salesmen, Dwight Schrute, and it goes like this. Michael says to Dwight, what is the most inspiring thing I ever said to you? And Dwight replies, Don't be an idiot. Changed my life. And then in a side interview, Dwight Schrute says, Whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. If only it were that simple, right? Sometimes we approach the Bible this way. I will not do that idiotic thing that they did. And then we find ourselves doing that thing or something very similar we at all times can forget who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. So let me comfort your heart real quick, lest you despair for the rest of the sermon. Jesus always loves and never leaves complete idiots. That should tide you over until I repeat it again later in the sermon. So back to Mark, because Jesus is about to do that fish taco thing with the crowd. But what he is actually saying by making these fish tacos for this group of Gentiles is actually going to totally blow the minds of the disciples. Look at verse 5. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, "Seven." And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them, and they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. So it's the same protocol as the last time when Jesus fed the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6. Jesus asks, how much food do you have? They sit down in groups. Jesus gives thanks. They pass the food around. Jesus blesses the food. And they all ate and were satisfied. And just like the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew tells us in his gospel, in Matthew 15, 38, that the 4,000 counted were the men who were present and did not include the women and children. So Jesus, here in Mark 8, probably fed up to fifteen to 20,000 people with just a few tortillas and fish. But this time, they have seven baskets of leftovers. Recall how many baskets they had left over when Jesus fed the 5,000. There were 12 baskets. Recall what that meant, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Good Shepherd, who came for the 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 baskets was Jesus giving them a sign that he came for the 12 tribes of Israel. But here in Mark chapter 8, what do these seven baskets represent? Why seven baskets left over? Remember where this miracle occurs. They are in the Decapolis, a Gentile area. And the number seven is significant in the Bible. Seven is the number for completion, perfection, fullness, abundance, and rest. So Jesus is saying, I'm the Savior for the whole world and not just the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, Jesus is saying that anybody can get in on this. The gospel is not just for the Jews. Jesus, the Messiah, came for all the world, the whole world, every nation, race, tribe, and tongue. Seven baskets of leftovers means that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It means it goes beyond Israel's borders. Yahweh's love does not stop at the border. Yahweh does not build a wall and keep people out. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Yahweh's love goes beyond the borders. No wall is built to keep people out. That's what Jesus is saying with the seven baskets. Jesus came for every idiot in every nation, every idiot in every race, every idiot in every tribe, and every idiot in every tongue. And that's good news. But it's not good news for the religious elite, the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees will come looking for Jesus, looking for a sign from him to back up his ministry. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. The Pharisees wanted a sign from heaven proving that Jesus, who Jesus was claiming who he was. Prove it. Who you claim you are, prove it. As if the two feedings of the 5,000 and the 4,000 weren't enough. They wanted to test Jesus. But the Pharisees were idiots. They're too dumb to realize that the man who does these miracles, he could read their minds and he could read their hearts. And so Jesus doesn't even give them the time of day. He sighs a sigh of frustration, and he tells them that he will not give them a sign. And then he gives the disciples the let's get in the boat again sign, and so off they go. And the disciples, clueless that they're about to be exposed again in a boat, hop in the boat with Jesus. Look at verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So the disciples get in the boat with Jesus, and he turns this into a teachable moment for the disciples. Having this interaction with the Pharisees, he now turns this into a teaching moment. Jesus wants to teach them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. More on that in a moment. And so Jesus wants to teach them all about the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod, and all this bread talk causes the disciples to do a tortilla inventory and they begin to freak out because they only have one tortilla on board. Jesus is wanting to teach them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And when he says leaven, it triggers their mind and they say, we don't have enough food to feed everybody. Keep in mind that this happened right after their interaction with the Pharisees which came after Jesus made fish tacos for 15 to 20,000 people which came after Jesus fed the other group of 15 to 20,000 people and the disciples start freaking out because they only have one tortilla to feed 13 grown men and they're having this disco- this discussion in front of Jesus the guy who made all of those fish tacos and so Jesus calls them out and he says Basically, really? You're actually freaking out over your tortilla inventory? Come on, guys. Don't you get it? Twelve baskets, seven baskets. Does any of this ring a bell? Do you really not understand? They really are idiots. Jesus is trying to teach them about the so-called wisdom of the world and the so-called wisdom of religion, and they start freaking out over their lack of food. So Jesus can't even finish his lesson about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of religion because the disciples get sidetracked. And Jesus then has to remind them about the seven baskets and the twelve baskets. So much for the Bible lesson in the boat that Jesus was trying to teach. Here's what Jesus was trying to say when he brought up the leaven, which triggered the disciples to worry about food. Jesus was trying to get into their thick schools that there are two kinds of wisdom in this world that the disciples should be watching out for. The wisdom of the Pharisees, which is religion, and the wisdom of Herod, which is worldliness. And so the leaven of the Pharisees is religion, which says, behave, get your act together. Religious people think this is wisdom for them. Wise up and just behave and get your act together and try to be good enough. And Jesus says the leaven of Herod is worldliness, which says party and get wasted. That's the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of Herod, which is live any way you want to. So one tries to be so strict on you that you can't breathe. The other one gives you all the freedom in the world to live any way that you want to. And Jesus says watch out for this. One focuses on being correct, always being right, trying to perform for God, looking down on other people, being a goody two-shoes. That's the Pharisees. And one of these focuses on licentiousness, living it up, partying, denying the existence of God, and indulging the flesh. And that's Herod. And Jesus warns the disciples about both. Jesus tells them that just as leaven infiltrates a whole lump of bread, so a sprinkle of legalism or a dash of license can corrupt and spread throughout your entire life. Jesus wants to teach them this, but the word leaven makes them think of food, and so they do a tortilla inventory, and they totally miss Jesus' lesson. So once again, the disciples are in a boat And they prove that they're idiots. But Jesus is about to show them that he loves them and will not give up on them, even though they can't connect the dots. Jesus will continue to open their eyes to who he is, and he'll do it in a fishing village by spitting in a blind man's eyes. Look at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, So they come to the village of Bethsaida, and we have Jesus and 12 professional fishermen who just showed how much idiots they were when they couldn't remember, number one, that Jesus made fish tacos for 5,000 people. Number two, they freaked out when they only had one tortilla to split between 13 grown men right after Jesus made tacos for 4,000 people. So these dumb disciples... Many who are experienced and professional fishermen how now, have now arrived with Jesus in the village of Bethsaida, which happens to mean the house of fishing. Going to Bethsaida is very intentional on Jesus's part. He takes 12 fishermen who can't seem to remember that Jesus made the fish tacos on two separate occasions for over 4,000 plus people each time. And he takes them to the house of fishing. Jesus is up to something here. Jesus is about to expose their deaf and blind hearts once again. And Jesus does this by doing another very weird thing. Remember what we saw a few weeks ago. Jesus, is really weird things in the Gospels. This time, Jesus is going to spit directly into this blind guy's eyes. But the guy is blind, so he doesn't even see Jesus getting ready to use his eyes as a spittoon. And once he does realize what Jesus has done, he won't mind so much that some rabbi spit in his eyes, because now he'll be able to see. So Jesus will spit in the guy's eyes partially healing him, then stop, ask him a question, and then completely heal him. That's weird. Partially heal, ask you a question, finally heal. I wonder why Jesus is doing this weird thing. Is it so that he can start a few hashtags on social media, like hashtag weird rabbi stuff, or hashtag spit, then question, then heal? Now, Jesus does this weird thing for another reason, which we'll find out in a moment. But here's a hint, and perhaps a hashtag that Jesus would have used. Hashtag good news for complete idiots. So some people brought this man to Jesus, and they begged him to heal the blind man. And Jesus once again takes the man away from the crowd because Jesus does not do ministry to be seen by others. Jesus does not do ministry to receive accolades and praise. Jesus is not interested in becoming a celebrity pastor. Jesus isn't fishing for compliments in a fishing village. He's not doing ministry and fishing for compliments in Bethsaida, the house of fishing. Jesus is fame shy. He doesn't live and do ministry for the praise of others. That stuff doesn't stimulate his heart. He doesn't want his ego stroked. So Jesus takes this blind man away and spits in his eyes and then lays his hands on him. And then Jesus asks him a question, do you see anything? And the man says, "Uh, no, I can't see anything because you just spit in my eyes. No, actually, the man doesn't say that. And he doesn't seem to have a problem with the spit. And he answers Jesus and tells him that he sees people walking around. And they look like trees walking around, just like in Lord of the Rings. And then Jesus laid his hands on the man's eyes again. And when he opens them, he could clearly see. And then Jesus sent the man home and told him not to go back into the village. Why does Jesus tell the man not to go back to Bethsaida, the house of fishing? Here's one reason why. Because this miracle was not for everyone. This miracle was for the disciples. Yes, it was for the blind man because Jesus had compassion on him and healed him, yes. But this miracle was also for the disciples, not even for the crowd. Jesus wanted the disciples to see themselves in the blind man. In other words, Jesus was telling them that they were only seeing him halfway which we'll see with the rest of Mark chapter 8 as well next week. The disciples weren't connecting the dots. Twelve baskets taken up were supposed to turn on the lights that Jesus was the Messiah and that he came for the twelve tribes of Israel. The seven baskets were supposed to turn on the lights that Jesus was the Messiah that came for the entire world. But the disciples weren't connecting the dots. And this blind man was a parable lived out before their eyes for them to see. Remember what we saw at the end of Mark 7, two weeks ago? Jesus healed a deaf man. Now Jesus heals a blind man. What did Jesus say to the disciples in the boat when they were freaking out about what they would eat? He said in verse 18, Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? So when Jesus healed the blind man, the deaf man in chapter 7 and then healed this blind man in chapter 8, he was acting out a parable of what was going on inside the disciples' hardened hearts. He was pointing out that they did not understand, that they weren't connecting the dots. But here's what's so great about Jesus. Jesus always loves and never leaves. Complete idiots. We are desperate and needy just like the disciples because we too are idiots and can be very foolish and slow to learn. We, like them, need the Spirit of God to open our eyes to see Jesus. And God's grace comes to us when we can freely admit that we are idiots and that we need help. When we can admit that we don't have it together. We are the disciples here. We don't see clearly. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus does not give up on us. Jesus doesn't throw his hands up in the air and say, that's it. I give up. Y'all are useless. I want to teach you a Bible lesson. And the word leaven makes you focus on how no one packed a lunch. Jesus doesn't do that. He stays put. Grace stays put. For those of us who are in Christ, in union with Christ, we cannot sin our way out of grace. We cannot sin our way out of the kingdom of God. Yes, we can totally mess our lives up because of our sin. We might have to deal with the devastating Consequences and the devastating effects of our sins in our lives because of our sins. But the good news of the gospel is that grace stays put. It doesn't go anywhere. Grace never leaves. And God's grace will help us through the devastating consequences of our sin. But grace stays put. As Puritan John Flavel said, As God did not at first choose you because you were high, So he will not forsake you because you are low. And that's the disciples here. He didn't pick them because they were the brightest. And he's not going to let them go because they're the dumbest. Grace stays put. Grace is like a magnet. It's drawn to the needy. It's drawn to those who lack wisdom. To those who are at their wits end. Admitting that you are an idiot is the door to God's grace. Admitting that you are an idiot is what opens the door to God's grace. Who knew that admitting that you are an idiot could be so much fun? Jesus has compassion for people who just can't seem to get their act together. He never bails on the disciples. Yes, he will have strong words for them at times, like we'll see in the rest of Mark 8 next week, but he never leaves them and he never forsakes them. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In healing the blind man halfway, Jesus is giving a sign that the disciples aren't seeing him clearly, but Jesus will not give up on them. He will keep loving them and changing them and transforming them. And he does that with us too. We don't see him as clearly as we should. We are a work in progress. We're idiots. But Jesus doesn't give up on us. He doesn't turn his back on us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Jesus will keep loving us and keep changing us and keep transforming us until we see him in all of his glory. And if we are idiots, then we need wisdom. And so where do we find it? In Jesus, Paul said, we preach Christ crucified, the wisdom of God. And as Ray Ortland says, wisdom is the gospel of Christ reshaping us for, for royalty. As God places us on his anvil and we trust him enough to stay there until his work is done. We preach the cross here at Grace. We preach Christ crucified for sinners. We preach Jesus as the wisdom of God for idiots like us. Here's the good news for complete idiots. Jesus will love us until we finally get it. Jesus will love us until we finally get it. Jesus will love us until we are finally and fully conformed to his image. That's what he did for the disciples. He loved them to death He loved them all the way to the cross and then out of the grave. And then they began to understand. After his resurrection, they began to connect the dots a little bit better. They began to see a little more. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. Even though we're stumbling along the way, Jesus is saving us from ourselves. He's saving you from you. He's saving me from me. And that's good news. Jesus is loving us until we get it. Jesus will love you until you finally get it, even though you keep failing along the way. So don't be discouraged because you're failing, and you're stumbling, and you're not getting it. And you're saying, why did I do that again? Don't be discouraged. Hate your sin, fight it, mortify it, put it to death, but have courage and be full of joy. Have good cheer because Jesus is going to love you till the end. He's never going to turn his back on you. No matter how much of an idiot you are in doing the same stupid things over and over again, he's never going to throw his hands up in the air and say, can't you just get your act together for crying out loud? He never says that. He just keeps loving you and he will love you until you finally get it. He will love you all the way to the end of your life because you still won't get it when you take your last breath. And he'll love you all the way through eternity because even after 10,000 years, we still won't get it After 10,000 years, we're just going to be scratching the surface of who Jesus is and his glory. And he'll be loving us every step of the way. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus loved you and me all the way to the cross. And he keeps loving us even though we are slow to learn and stumble our way all through life. So don't be discouraged today, Grace. The wisest man in all the world loves you. He loved you all the way to the cross and that's why at this church we preach Christ crucified the wisdom of God idiots need wisdom and Jesus is that wisdom and he offers himself without restriction to all who come you can have all of Jesus just come will you come Don't be an idiot today and ignore Jesus. Come and be free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love, which was shown at the cross, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We thank you that your love never ceases no matter how much we mess up, how much we sin, how much we rebel against you, how stupid we are, all the idiotic things that we do, it doesn't faze you. Your mercies are new every single morning. What hope we have as we go to sleep at night and what hope we have even right now. Father, would you impress it upon our hearts just how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.